Welcome to the Small Business Edge Podcast with Brian Moran, sponsored by Oracle. Now, here's your host, Brian Moran. Welcome, everybody, to the Small Business Edge Podcast show. My name is Brian Moran, and I'm proud to be your host. Today, my guest is Joe Knight, partner and senior consultant with the Business Literacy Institute. Joe is a highly regarded finance and business literacy keynote speaker, trainer, and he's the co-author of the Financial Intelligence Series published by Harvard Business Review. Joe has also been a guest on Bob Brinker's Money Talk Show on KABC Radio and CNBC's Morning Call program. I'm also proud to say that Joe is one of our members on the SMB Experts panel sponsored by Oracle. Welcome to the show, Joe Knight. Hey, thanks, Brian. Appreciate it. Looking forward to having a little discussion. Absolutely. You know, this is the the financial aspects of running a business is always one that I hear, you know, being top of mind with almost every type of business owner, whether you're a startup or you've been in business a couple of years or you're a growing entrepreneurial company. Right. They it's constantly questions about financing and the financials. And so you must be one of the most popular people at conferences and, and at neighborhood parties. Yeah, well, you know, Brian, sometimes I'm not that popular because I always tell <laughs> these business owners that there's one reason why you went into business and it's to make money. And that's the only reason. And they don't like to hear that. But that's certainly what the finance guy is going to say every time. Right. And guess and, what? And, Your banker's going to say that too and everybody else you work with. You got to make money to survive. And unfortunately, if you, if, you, if you don't know if you're making money, you won't survive. And that's why we need to understand finance and the statements. Absolutely. And and I always talk in plain terms with a, a lot of my clients, especially the startup businesses. I say money and cash flow, it's like the fuel that drives your car. You want to take your car from one day destination to the next. And if you run out of fuel along the way, you're done. It's game over unless you can get more fuel for your car. Yep. Yeah. Another way to say it is if you, if you like to do what you do, then you better make money. <laughs> All right, that is so true. So let's let's jump into it, Joe. <clears throat> you you spend a lot of time with entrepreneurs and and people running companies. Um, are most business owners today financially literate when it comes to running their businesses? I uh, I would say uncategorically, uh, you know, without any question, no. Um, and and I I don't know if you're aware of this, Brian, but we tested that at the Business Literacy Institute. I like to call it BLI. Mm-hmm. Uh, we tested for that. And, and uh, our publisher, Harvard Business Review Press, uh, was so surprised by our test results when Karen Berman, my, my original partner in BLI, and I uh, ran a test in 2009. Uh, they published the results in October of 2009 in B- Harvard Business Review. But to get to the point, what we found out through our study is that the, uh, and we, we focused on business executives, small business was, was included, but mainly larger businesses as well. We found out that the average score for an executive in, a, in business today, management and executive level uh, on our little true false multiple choice assessment is 38%. Wow. Since 09, and as we've gone forward, Brian, what we found out is that score has been validated time and time again when we go into companies large and small and run these, these assessments. So the answer to your question is most owners of businesses are not financially literate. And, uh, and that's one of the big challenges that, uh, that we face in businesses. They don't understand the finances. They don't understand how to work with a banker. They don't understand how to manage their business financially. And, and on, on the very fundamental level, they don't understand the difference between an income statement, a balance sheet, and a statement of cash flow as we tested. 
And so if you don't understand the fundamentals of finance, then certainly you're going to struggle with with understanding what's uh, what's happening in your business and you won't have the proper headlights to go forward and, and develop strategy and all the sorts of things that go with good financial management. And, and, and that's so critical. It's 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 amazing that that executive business executives who appear to be intel, you know, intelligent, very smart, savvy, that they would score an average of 38 percent when it comes to financing because it is the backbone of your business. Right. It, it, especially if you want to grow your business, you want to take it to that next level. Th- there are too many potholes and obstacles in your path f- that are financially related that it's not a question of if you're going to hit them, but when you're going to hit them. Would you agree with that? Yeah, right. And I, I totally agree with that. And here, here's the problem is most small business owners get into business because they have a great idea mm-hmm. that they want to they sell and they want to uh, exploit that idea or get it out there to a lot of people. So they're kind of an evangelist. And or they're great at sales. They're great at making contacts. They're great at building networks. They're great at, at developing a, a market. Yeah. So those two skills are critical. But the problem is, is those two skills aren't financial skills. Right. And so a lot of entrepreneurs are very talented at, at, at creating things and at developing a market, but they don't understand finance. And so uh, they get themselves into a lot of trouble. You know, a funny aside on this on this financial literacy thing. You know, I travel overseas a lot when I'm speaking and training. And one time I was going through passport control. I don't remember where I was, but I was coming back in the United States. Mm-hmm. And the officer looks at my passport and he goes, "Okay, where where were you? I was on a I was on a trip doing training. What kind of training do you do?" And I go, "Well, I teach executives and leaders in small business and companies how to read their financial statements." And the guy just sat there laughing, like, "You're joking, right?" <laughs> and I, I, he goes, "You mean they don't know?" I go, "Yeah." So this, this border patrol guy, seriously, like the guys that run these companies don't know how to read their financial statements. I go, yeah, pretty much that's true. Yeah. So, you know, we all assume, we all assume that that guy in the office that has that owns that business or is running that business is all over it. But in reality, they're not. And we've tested it. We've proven it. And I've been around the world talking about it. And uh, and it's a big it's a big challenge for business, large and small, but especially for small business yes. owners, because if you get into trouble financially, it's not a reorganization or a restructuring. It's a shutdown and, and you're, you're done. You're bankrupt and gone. Which is scary. So here's the good news for everybody who's listening right now. I want you to keep listening. Don't turn off your computer right now and, and put your head in the sand. Because over the next 25 or so minutes, Joe and I are going to give you tips, suggestions, rules, practices that you can put into place in your business to make you smarter financially. So stick with us. We're going to start with the ugly and we're going to get to the opportunities. So my next question, Joe, is an obvious one. What are some of the biggest mistakes that business owners make when it comes to the financials of their company and the financing of their company? Okay. Well, first let's talk about the financials. Mm-hmm. One of, one of the things one of the things that we focus on in business, especially when you're growing a small business, is on on the revenue and the sales. And it's very validating to a small business owner to have people buying your product. It's it's basically telling you that your idea or your product, your service, whatever you provided, is something people are buying. So we drive revenue, we push mm-hmm. revenue. The, the the problem with that is is as you grow revenue, you usually consume cash in most right. business models, especially when you're selling on credit. And so if you're focused only on revenue. And not understanding the costs and the profits, but even more importantly, the cash flow associated with that, then you can get in a situation where you sell yourself out of business. So one of the fundamental things that every small business owner needs to understand is that profit and cash are 
while they're related one to another, they are two different things. And if you're going to survive in a small business, you have to have have consistent income statements or profitability Mm -hmm. statements. Sometimes we call them a P&L, but you also have to have a very strong handle on your cash flow. And a lot of small business owners want to drive revenue, look at more profit on their income statement without looking and understanding the impact that has on cash. A lot of small companies, when they sell on credit, and most do, in mm-hmm. fact, um, in most industries, you sell your product on credit, you collect in 30, 60, 90. I even know some large companies are paying in 120 oh, yeah. days. But unfortunately, if you have employees that work for you, they want to get paid every two weeks or right. every month. It's very inconvenient. You can't put them on 60 days. So what happens is your costs come before your revenue is collected. The more you sell, the more people you have working for you, the more cost you have in your supply chain the less likely you're going to be able to cash flow it. And a lot of small business owners are so focused on sales and growing sales that they sell their way right out of business and they run out of cash. They miss payroll. Everybody goes home and the game is over. So, so the first tip I would put out, Brian, is, is, if you're, is you should have your income statement or your profit measured at least mm-hmm. every month, but you should look at your cash flow at least weekly or biweekly, and you should project it out several days. Um, there is a cash flow statement of finance, but you should project your cash with your income and your exhaust on a, on a simple model in a spreadsheet so that you know your cash projections before you continue to grow and, and, and run your business. And because there, there are always going to be bumps in the road or there's going to be changes in your cash flow. Money thought was com- coming in, suddenly doesn't, right? Well, the payables are always going to be there. But the receivables have a way yep. of disappearing. And <clears throat> that's something that I talk a lot about with my clients. We play the what if game. What if your largest client goes out of business and takes your receivables with them? What if you come up to, you know, my brother's a contractor on Long Island. And we had a, a, a you know, a meaningful conversation right before Hurricane Sandy hit. Now, he had receivables that were outstanding. I said, if you don't collect on them now, before this hurricane hits, you're going to be you're going to go from net 30 to net, you know, I'll pay you when insurance pays me. And that's a dramatic change in his business. So we see this all the time. Somebody running a profitable business, very healthy, and suddenly, you know, a bomb goes off in front of them and they're scrambling now just to survive. Right. And that's why that's why, Brian, I'm a I'm a cash flow weekly kind of guy. And, you know, having owned my own small businesses and still today I'm involved in it as an owner and some, some small businesses that we've been growing very rapidly. Um, you know, it's just, I, I can't sleep at night if I don't know where <laughs> my cash flow is. I've been in this long to know that, that uh, it's better to know how bad it is than to not know at all. And if you're not looking at your cash flow every week, a great example, you just provided Brian with a hurricane or with a, a natural disaster, all kinds of things can happen. Uh, a business goes out bankrupt. I had a big client who was selling into a, a larger small business that was selling into Circuit City and they yeah. went bankrupt one day. They had no yeah. plan for that. So weekly look at your cash flow. Always have a plan. Um, and, uh, and then to, to transition from that, Brian, the second thing you're going to need in a small business or any business for that matter is some way of financing the holes. And that, that, that would equate to a, a relationship with a bank, um, the right amount of capital to start your business. You, uh, you always are going to need a credit line of some kind where you, that you can tap. And, and one of the things I've learned over the years, Brian, is, uh, is it's easier to negotiate a credit line with a banker when you have a lot of cash than Thursday when you're trying to make payroll the yeah. next day. Yes. That doesn't work out. So you need to have a good bank relationship and you need to have a banker that understands your business, 
um, and uh, and that will give you access to a credit line when you do have those those things happen, like the hurricane or a bankrupt uh, major customer on your receivables list. And, and so, in terms of financing, that's a critical part of small businesses having the right relationship with the I, bank. I couldn't agree with you more. And to kind of uh, personally validate that point, you know, the, the interesting thing is even with the banks and their lines of credit, they can they can pull them at any time. Right. Even if you have a healthy business and and you have a line of credit with the bank in 2008, I had uh, I had a bank and they were sold. Uh, they were sold to another company. And uh, I was coming right into my publishing season where I typically tap into my line of credit to publish my magazines. And they said to me, you know, we're not going to be able to renew your line of credit. You know, it was coming up on its annual review. And I, and I said, why not? I, you know, I've been a very good customer about it and whatnot. And they said, well, you know, we got sold. And, and of course, this is 2008 when the banks saw long before the rest of us that, you know, the, the tsunami was coming and, uh, and they pulled my line of credit. I had about, you know, I had a, a fairly significant amount of money already drawn down. And they said, you know, you got to pay that back. And so it was just a horrible, you know, nightmarish 30, 45 days where I had to reconfigure my business so that I was able to pay off my line of credit and publish my magazines. So uh, one of the things I learned from that, and I always talk to my clients about is play the what if game. As you're looking at your cash flow, try and figure out where the potholes and the obstacles are, and then how you would respond proactively to that. So in the event something uh, adversely happened, you're not sitting there, you know, throwing good money after bad, and you're not taking the most expensive route to rectify a situation simply because your rear end is on fire when it comes to your company. Yeah, and, and a comment about about your situation, Brian. One of the things I've learned about about banking and bankers, and I've I've seen this change a lot of times, is I have to change banks every couple of years to get a better sure. deal and to negotiate deals. But the second thing I'll tell you is is these bank contracts can be negotiated. Sometimes we assume they say, this is a deal. This is the only way we do our credit lines. And they'll have covenants in them that I, I know I'm uncomfortable with in my business because I watch my key numbers. And these covenants might be out of line and then they can call your credit line. You could have a change of control clause added to a, 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 mm -hmm. a, a credit line contract with a bank. And a lot of them are more flexible than you think. That's part of why I'm a proponent of working yes. with smaller community banks that are more localized because you can get things adjusted more and there's more flexibility there. But, but uh, it's always good to make sure the covenants in the, in the loan documents you work with and also the relationship you have with the banker is such that you can make some of those adjustments to protect yourself. Because things like, the story that you just told, Brian, is so common where you know, the, 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 the joke is the, the, the bankers love to give you an umbrella in case there's a rainy day. And then when it starts raining, guess what? Yes. They want the umbrella back. I know I knew you in 2008, but I don't know why I didn't call you when that, when that happened. You, you should have been on speed dial for me. Yeah, you know, and I've I've dealt with a lot of bankers, and I've changed covenants. In fact, my, the current credit line I'm working with in our manufacturing company had a couple of uh, covenants that yeah. just don't work for my balance sheet, and the bankers didn't understand what what we do in our balance sheet. Uh, another thing I've learned, and you'll you'll laugh about this, but we assume bankers know finance. I'm pretty sure they wouldn't score any higher than 38 percent on the test. Wow. Um, and a lot of a lot of bankers, especially. Uh, transactional bankers that do a lot of loans, they don't understand the ratios that they're asked to get in your credit line. And so make sure that you get the right kinds of um, covenants and structure your credit line in a way that you're protected. And I, I'll tell you, I've, I've had a lot of luck renegotiating those things with, with banks on my small credit lines as a small business. So don't, don't, uh, don't hesitate to work with your banker. They're eager for your business. 
They want small growing businesses like yours. And I'm sure you guys all have on this pot, listening to this podcast, have wonderful growing businesses. And so um, be sure to, to work with your banker and negotiate because they, they are, don't think that you're, you're, uh, you don't have any um, leverage in a negotiation because you are bringing a valuable asset to them, which is a wonderful growing business. That is such a, a fabulous point. You don't think of that. You think it's it's black and white. It is what it is. Take it or leave it. You know, and 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 they'd like you to think that, Brian. They would like you to. I, think. I, I hear you, and, and I've had that issue with my bank, and and what I've done is I've always gone to Plan B. Okay, uh, you know, we'll continue this relationship, and then I walk out and I say, all right, the first thing I'm doing is I'm finding an alternative option so that. If my banker were to say no to me again, I have a plan B and I'll just move in that direction. We'll always have a plan B for anything that you do in business. Yeah, you must. You must, especially on the financing side. And But but again, my point is that when you do these negotiations and try to get the line set up in a way you like it, you want to do it when you're in a strong cash position, of course. And, uh, and right, right, right. That's your, that's your position of strength. When there's a change of control and when things go wrong, you can work things out. Anyway, yeah, go ahead, Brian. There you go. So we talked. We talked about cash flow. We talked about balance sheets. So let's let's talk about what do business owners really need to know about the numbers. I mean, in any given business, you could have twelve to fifteen different metrics that you're looking at. But but what are the what are the core metrics in any given business that owners need to watch and follow? You know, Brian, every business is different, but I like to say there's usually two three, and no more than that in terms of key metrics that drive your business. In a typical manufacturing business that, can, that makes a typical product, the first and most important metric that you should be watching and tracking uh, constantly is your gross profit margin percentage. Right. So that's usually going to be one of your few three numbers. Um, and you're also going to have to understand other margins and other parts of your statement, but gross profit margin percentage. Now, some of the businesses I work with, my manufacturing business is more of a a project-based business. And so our key numbers are things like percentage of utilization, what percentage of our total labor force is on direct labor rather than on overhead. And then secondarily, Mm -hmm. how much revenue do we generate for each direct hour we charge based on our project management system and, and analysis? That's a key metric. So every business has different nuances, but I like to say there's two or three key metrics that your managers and even your employees, if you're willing to, to get into that with them, should understand and be able to follow. I see a lot of um, businesses get together and say, well, you know, there's 23 key ratios. There's four different categories. In fact, <laughs> yeah. they're all outlined in my book, Brian, Financial Intelligence. But I would tell anybody who read my book, pick out two or three that work for you. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've just given you a couple uh, off the top of my head, but every business is different. A, a training business, a uh, a consultant type of business has a different kind of metric. Again, it's going to be utilization, something like that. I see so many executives that have, you know, these are my 12 key metrics. You can't follow 12 metrics in a small business. You don't have time for that. You need to have two or three. And and I promise you that if you understand those two or three metrics and you watch them, you follow them, and you continue to try to make them stronger and better, then you'll be a successful business person. You'll be successful in doing what you want to do, which is to run your small business and uh, provide a product or service that makes you proud. So would you, would you say that in order to be successful, you need to spend as much time on your expenses as you do your revenue? I, I don't, I don't, you know, a lot of times you talk to companies and it's all about growth. So it's revenue at any cost, right? We need to drive sales. We need to drive, um, you know, increase sales, but, but they, they don't look at the expense side of it. 
Yeah, and I don't even know if I'd say that it has to be a balance or an e equal drive. I mean, getting revenue is critical to any business, and that might be more important than controlling your expenses. But you need to understand your key expense drivers. Another thing that I see a lot of small business owners do that's a big mistake is they they uh, they pick up pennies and step over dollars. In other words, they, they say, <laughs> yeah. hey, let's we got to get rid of the water cooler and the, the Wednesday snacks that we bring in. They're just killing us. You know, it's costing us 20, yeah. bucks, 20 bucks a week. When, when they're not, they're not, they don't have a good handle on how to hire the right people. They don't have a good process for um, making sure that they're not fo that their systems are right or they have the right kind of operational background with the people that are working for them. And so they, they focus on the things that, they, that make sense to them. But when you step back and look at expenses, you need to understand your biggest expenses. And for most businesses, that's going to be your labor. And so understanding how to, how to get the right people in the right places for the right pay, making sure you're not overpaying for your market, all that kind of stuff is probably more important than managing those little expenses. And so I think it's a, a lot of expense analysis is getting to the big ticket items and figuring out how to maximize what you get out of those expenses. Would you say, that, say then that it's imperative to take a proactive approach rather than a reactive approach to your business and take time to look at the big picture, not only where you've been and where you are, but where you're going. Right, right. And, and, and do that in context of expense and analyzing expense mm -hmm. and make sure that as you grow your revenue, you understand what it's going to take to scale. Because that's another problem is you grow and you don't scale properly and then you get yourself into trouble because you're not delivering the quality that you need to deliver to the marketplace. And that's a whole other set of problems. Well, it, it, one of the things I also talk about are coming to the forks in the, in the road in your business in, a, in any given year. And a fork in the road could be, you know, adding to staff, uh, opening a new location, um, you know, buying a competitor, taking outside money. And so when you come to these forks in the road, a lot of times business owners don't know whether they're true small businesses or they're more entrepreneurial. And, and so, you know, they, they'll, they'll, they'll come to a fork and not think about the long-term, you know, objectives for their company. So hiring new employees, opening new locations, launching new products or services, you know, how many times do you hear six months down the line, Jesus, this is one of the worst mistakes you know, we made, you know, we, we, we picked the wrong location. We picked the wrong time to launch the business or, or, or the new, the new service, right. That they don't, they don't look at the big picture when they come to the fork in the road. Yeah. And, and Brian, you're saying big picture. I'm the finance guy and I'm saying financial analysis. Now let, <laughs> let me say something. Most small business people, and I'm part of this group are gut people. They go from the gut. I, it feels right. It's, it, is, it, it, it feels right for my business. Intuitively, I know this is what I need to be doing. But you need to check your gut with a financial analysis. Yes. When you, when you do an acquisition, when you uh, look at a new line of business, when you're going to take on a new customer, you need to do financial analysis or have someone who can bring those tools together so you can get metrics like what, how, do, how does this impact my revenue, my expenses, and my profitability? And also, what kind of cash flow is it? How is this going to affect me cash flow-wise? Those kinds of analyses should be done when you're making any business decision so that you can verify what you feel with your gut. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and I always do that. And, I, and, I, and people laugh at me because I'm a finance guy. But as I work with and run these small businesses, I really do like to, like to, uh, to go with the gut. But I always check the gut with, with good, sound financial analysis. And there are many times when the numbers just don't work, right. no matter how good you feel about it. And you need to have the courage to walk away. If you don't have the courage to walk away, then eventually you will be forced away. Right, right. And, you know, and, and in that 
context. You're not doing that by yourself, right? The, the, the idea of making these decisions. If you're a business owner and you're making these financial decisions on your own, then that, you know, therein lies a big part of the problem is that you don't have an extra set of ears and, and eyes on your financials. And, you know, there are people who can see things that you don't see. One of, one of the, um, uh, things that I know you're a big fan of is open book management. Yeah. And that's where everybody has, a, a, you know, access to the financials of the company. Why don't you talk about that a little bit and whether it's right or wrong for business owners? Yeah. And, and let me make a comment, Brian. I, I, the small business owners, there's usually, there's two types. There's the lone wolf mm-hmm. entrepreneur that wants to do it all himself. And a lot of people are very successful that way. I've never been like that. I've always been partners, collaborate, different, different talents, different abilities. Um, to, to tie that into open book management, um, and, and since I founded the company or was involved with the found, two founders of the company in the first six months of, of Setpoint Systems, uh, my manufacturing company that I'm involved with, uh, we always had this philosophy of being over open book. And that's primarily because the two, two engineers that I worked with that founded this little company that has now you know, been pretty successful to this point, um, they were in a company where they never knew what was going on financially. And they felt anxiety around that as engineers. Mm-hmm. And so we developed a system whereby we share the, the metrics and the numbers with our employees. Now, remember, I only had, we, f- we found those two or three key metrics. We look at them every week. We have a bonus plan tied to it. We also do training. All those things have to go together with open book management. But here's the thing, Brian. What I found is when you open the books and people understand the key drivers in the business, when things get tough or when you have to make adjustments, the whole group makes the adjustment rather than one person trying to figure it all out themselves. I can remember three times at least when our CPA that did our taxes and to help me with some of my finances, uh, financial stuff over the years, went to his partners in this firm, this local firm, I'm based in Salt Lake City, went to his partners and he told me this. He said, I think, I think Setpoint's in trouble. You know, we've been in business mm-hmm. for 25 years. I think they're going down. And then he said, all of a sudden you guys would transition. Your costs would go out faster than any small business I've seen. You'd make adjustments, you'd find new customers. How can you move so quickly? And I told him, I said, it's because we're all on the ship together. Yeah. And, and uh, I, I don't, you know, I, the guys on the shop floor and my engineers, they figure out how to get costs out of their area. We figure out how to make adjustments. And we work together as a team. So I feel like, Brian, put, getting everybody together and sharing those financial, uh, that financial information makes you quicker to adjust and make moves. And it also helps you uh, when, you're, when you have a group of people working together, you're going to come up with better decisions. Now, that assumes you have a good group and that assumes you have people that are cohesive and they, they can work together. But I've found for my approach to small business, opening the books and sharing key financial metrics is a great way to... Uh, make your business successful. Now, there are people who are listening to this podcast who are shaking their heads saying, I would never share my numbers with my employees. One, in part, because maybe I have some, you know, transition problems. You know, I have people coming and going and, you know, I'll have employees that will leave for competitors. So they'll share that information with the competition. Um, you know, what is what is your response to the people who say, um, I just, I can't trust my employees to keep open book management to themselves. I'll tell you what I think. There, there's a couple things. First, when you share your numbers, it's very personal. As a business owner, mm-hmm. sharing numbers is like exposing yourself. And I know that's hard for a lot of entrepreneurs. Yes. But on the other hand, um, the fear of people finding out your numbers, the fear of competitors getting to your numbers, and all those kinds of things, I've never felt like there was a big threat to that. First, because I know that most people don't understand finance anyway. 
But second, they're too busy in their own world trying to run their own businesses. So I think there's very little risk of that happening. The other thing I found is that employees, some employees don't like knowing the numbers. It makes them nervous. It makes them uncomfortable to know you're going to lose money some months. And so it's not for all employees. And, and for some personalities, it doesn't work. But for the majority of the people I work with and for, um, and for the, my partners, we found that this open book philosophy keeps everybody honest, keeps us all on the same page. Right. And I've, I've really never had any adverse effect by, uh, by sharing the numbers in terms of competitors or vendors or, or anybody finding out more about our business than we'd like them to know. And so that's my experience with it. But it is, you're, you're exposing yourself. One other thing I'll say, Brian, is, is a lot of people are afraid that if they share their numbers, people will know how much money you make and it'll upset them. What I found is when they see the revenue and they see how little profit is at the bottom, they're shocked how little you make, without exception. They're going, I mean, you're a $5 million business and you only made 400000 this year? Oh, I thought you were rich. And so that's, that's always wrong. Anyway, go ahead, Brian. Sorry. Yeah. It sounds like what you're saying is that the, uh, the open book management is a... Uh, could be a competitive advantage in terms of strengthening your corporate culture. M meaning that if you're willing to open your kimono and share your financials with your employees that, uh, and, and they feel like they are playing an integral role in the success of your business, that there's an opportunity. Well, one, I think it also, it weeds out the bad employees, you know, the, the people who, um, who you know may speak out against you, and and that makes your decision easy an easy one to fire them. But what what you want is you want a, a kind of a cohesive team, and and that the corporate culture is the glue that holds them together, and that comes through open book management. Yeah, that's true. Uh, but but again, it, it does expose the small business owner, and I totally understand that. And uh, and it's a private thing when you own your own business. So you, sometimes you have to balance that. And it takes a little bit of courage to open things up. But I have found in my experience that the, the, the positives far outweigh the negatives. And what I, what I feel like I create in my business, even though we haven't shared our equity broadly, a lot of the employees that see the numbers, they, they're, like, they're like psychic owners. They, they want to see the company succeed. They know that if we make more money, they'll get a bonus. Yeah. They know that there'll be success, but they just... They just feel like they're part of the business and they act like owners more than, than, uh, than uh, at times it even, it even shocks me how much they act like owners and are concerned about everything about the business. So that's why I'm a proponent of open book management. But remember, it's not for everyone and it's not for every employee. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. All right. One last, it, it is amazing how quickly these podcasts go, you know, with, with, I've done now a, a couple of them with you and Reva Lasansky and Barbara Weltman. And I am just, you know, stunned at, at how much information we can get out there, but how quickly they go. So let, let me finish with this. One of the key questions that I get asked a lot from my clients is when it comes to finance, the financials, um, what, what should we keep in house and what should we outsource? You know, I get the, I get the, the business owners who say, Hey, we're going to you know, focus on what drives revenue and we're just going to outsource everything else. Is, is that something that you would espouse or? I, I, you know what, you should outsource the things that, that, uh, that, that you are not good at and you're, you're not talented at, but there are some specific key financial things you have to have your finger on. 
And one of them is cash flow. Mm -hmm. I would not outsource cash flow and cash flow analysis because as a business owner, you literally need to look at that weekly and sometimes daily when you're in a tight spot. And every day you need to look at receivables and, your, and you need to have someone who's competent who can create the models to, to, to look at your, your uh, cash situation and analyze that. So I wouldn't outsource cash flow and I wouldn't outsource the basic development of your statements. So that includes the income statement, the balance sheet. I would do that in-house in a small business once you get to some kind of size. I would outsource taxes. I would. I, you could outsource some of your analysis. Um, I, I think a lot of a lot of uh, companies now have an opportunity to use a, a CFO for a day, kind of an, an analyst to come in, you know, a few hours a month or a few hours a, a, week, uh, a week, depending on the size of your business, to help you do the analysis. But the core fundamental statements you should keep in house or even do yourself when you're just a, a proprietor starting up, because you need to understand your cash flow and you need to understand the flow of profitability of your business. And, and I'm a big proponent. Everybody in, in business should understand finance at a basic level at that level. So I think the basic statements need to stay in house, particularly cash flow. The rest you could outsource. That's, that's kind of how I would put it. I love it. So here's what I'm going to tell listeners right now. If you want to get a better handle on your financials and financing opportunities, a couple of things. One, by Financial Intelligence, uh, which is Joe Knight's book uh, by Harvard Business Press, one of the best books I've ever read for business owners. Uh, two, you also have an online course, Joe, right, that people can subscribe to. Uh, how, would they, how would they find that? They can access that at business-literacy.com. That's our website. And uh, we, have a, we have an online course with questions and everything else that, that people can take. Um, and, and for small business owners, that's the best solution. I do travel and do a lot of speaking, but, but that's a good way to get the basics on all three of the statements some key ratios and give you some ideas. So the online training at Business Literacy Institute is a good source as well, Brian. Okay, excellent. And if people wanted to connect with you, what uh, Twitter, LinkedIn, email, what, what, how can people who may have questions follow up with you? I'm on all, those, all of those sites. I'm on LinkedIn at, uh, under Joe Knight, and you can find me through Business Literacy Institute and also Setpoint. Um, I'm also on Twitter. Joe V. Knight is my Twitter. Um, and, uh, and, I, and I do some Twitter uh, stuff as well. And then, of course, at business-literacy.com, you can uh, leave notes to us there and, and we can contact you there. Love to help you work with you. And, and one other thing, Brian, I want to say, and I, I hope everybody understands this, regardless of the weather outside, and I'm in Utah right now and it's snowing, which is a really good thing because we needed snow for our, for our mountains and for skiing. But regardless of the weather outside, every day is a great day for finance. And I'm here to bring you a good day. So remember that, Brian. I love it. I love it. Um, you know what? That's a t-shirt. It's a t-shirt and that's a bumper sticker somewhere. So yeah, absolutely. All right, Joe, this has been fantastic. And for everybody listening out there, we welcome your feedback. We welcome your comments and uh, there'll be more great podcasts from our SMB experts panel sponsored by Oracle. Uh, you know, we have some, some great guests coming on and, and I am so excited to me. It's like an all-star team of the top business experts experts in the world, as far as I'm concerned. And Joe, you are an integral part of that team. So thank you for your friendship. Thank you for your sharing your knowledge and being part of our panel. And thank you for the podcast today. Uh, greatly appreciate it. Thanks, Brian. It's always a pleasure to work with you and uh, uh, look forward to working with you in the future. Likewise. All right, everyone. That's a wrap for today's Small Business Edge podcast with Brian Moran. Um, join us uh, next month where we'll be bringing you more top experts on different topics. Have a great day.
You've been listening to the Small Business Edge podcast with Brian Moran, sponsored by Oracle. Please visit our website, smallbusinessedge.com, for a listing of future podcasts.